We've been talking about quite a bit today. We've been talking about the gospel, um, how that influences and impacts our life. We've been talking about how to bring that to your singleness, uh, masculinity, godly masculinity to your um, singleness or to your marriage. And now we're going to talk about vocation. Uh, it's really easy to think about vocation as being your J-O-B job. And so many of you in this room are kind of checking out and saying, ah, I'm a student. That doesn't, it doesn't pertain to me. So I'm not going to listen. Um, maybe you're retired. And you say, I already had a vocation. It's done. No. Your vocation is what you're doing that requires great dedication right here, right now. So as a student, your vocation is to be a student unto the glory of God. As an employee, it's to be an employee to the glory of God. A man in retirement, that's not a time to tap out and say, I have nothing more to do. That's to be a godly, masculine presence, a presence full of wisdom for your family, for your friends, for your church. And so I think there are a couple of ways that we as men typically live our lives. There's kind of two big archetypes here. We've got one, the weekend warrior the weekend warrior. And this is a person whose life really exists outside of work hours. So nights outside of work hours and on the weekends, they have the toys, they have the stuff. Everything is just, it's when you're with your family. It's when you're in community group. It's when you're grilling out with friends or watching basketball games with friends. Those are the times of your life that count. Um, there's work hours, and that's when you're just punching that time card, um, to earning a paycheck, getting enough done so that you can have the financial resources to do what really counts. Here, the best version of you, there's two versions of you here, and the best version of you is the one that home gets. Work, just plugging away, getting it done, earning that money. The second, there's a guy who is the workaholic. You're cranking all the time. You work, you love it. It's your complete life. You have no energy outside of work because you're going sun up to sun down. And in this scenario, the best you is for work. And the one that your family gets, the one that's the off hours you is the one that isn't your best you. Um, You think, man, one day I'm going to be able to to earn the fruits of this labor. I'm going to be able to just rest and relax and have this great time. The truth of the matter is, as a workaholic, you're probably going to keep on going. You're probably going to go until the motor just stops. You might be a mix of the two, though, too. You might be a mix of the two. Um, But what if there really were a better way to live our lives? A way to see your life as a whole. As a whole, from sun up to sun down, your life as a whole. Not as separate times, but a thing of life and bringing the best you to both your job, your school, uh, the friends you're hanging around with, and to your home life. You're called to more than just work and play. You're called to more than that work or play. So let's dig into the idea of calling for a second. Uh, We see in the Bible that the idea of calling is referred to normally as God's plan to save his people. And then we're also to participate. So he's saving his people. We're also to participate in this idea of God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's a call to God. Thankfully, he calls us to him. And then secondly, we see that we are called to do God's redemptive work 
that is to be accomplished in the world. So Paul riffed a whole lot about this in the Bible. And so I'm just going to talk, uh, just share a few verses with you. We got Romans 1, 6 that says, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus. So that's our first call. We belong to Jesus. You're called to belong to Jesus. That's pri- that's the, the priority right there. Uh, and then in Romans eight twenty eight it says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Now we're getting into what we're called to do. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So trusting us as ambassadors of Christ across every aspect of our life, including home life. But very importantly, what we do with those times, when we're at work, when we're at school, when we're spending time with the sports teams that we might be on. First Corinthians 10 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, as I was studying for this, I came across this quote from Bob Thune. And as I highlighted it, it just, the quote kept getting longer and longer and longer till it was like half of his blog post. And so I'm going to go ahead and post that up there and read it to you because it's good. If we are to live all of life for the glory of God, that's 1 Corinthians 10, 31, then we need a God-centered view of work. It's not enough that we try to honor God in how we do our work or that we try to be Christ-like to people at work or that we support God's kingdom with the money we take from work. The glory of God must inform and transform our view of work itself. And here's what I mean. Most non-Christians see work simply as a means to an end. Work provides beer money, a fat retirement pension, or a better life for their kids. Unfortunately, many Christians see work in exactly the same way. We may be pursuing more Christ-like ends. Money to tithe, an opportunity to witness to a coworker, for instance. But our view of work itself is still fundamentally unchanged. We still see work as a means to an end. We are using work, but we're in it for what we get out of it. God may be honored in the results of our work, but he's not supreme in our view of work itself. And that's the problem. And that's the problem. So let's talk about work. Let's talk about what we're involving ourselves in, what we're giving our time, our energy and attention to, and why it's worth an entire session today. We didn't tell you this, but this one's going to go till 4.30 this afternoon. Just kidding. (laughs) Not true, not true. So we're going to rewind. We're going to go back in time. We're going to go to the very creation of earth. We're going to look at Genesis 2, 7 through 9 and verse 15. And it says, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man who he had formed and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. Here we see that God gave us a job before he even gave us a family. 
In this picture right here, God gave him a job before he gave him a family, even before sin entered the world. Many of you think that because of sin, we have to work, right? Man, we're cursed, so now we've got to go do this job. Well, look at this. Before sin even entered the world, we were called to have a job to do. It was around God's original plan and design for us as humans. As men, you are called to put time, energy, and effort to something. Uh, Paradise is not just sitting back on a desert island thinking, man, I'm just going to sip margaritas all day, though that is something that we kind of ring up in there. But that is not ultimately satisfying. Genesis 1.28 says this, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves in the earth. Sin entered the world and yes, work became more difficult. We do see that. Work became more difficult. We see immediately that weeds started sprouting up and there were thorns on some plants, right? We have coworkers who remind us of Dwight Schrute. That's real. But work was not cursed beyond repair because thankfully Jesus came to reconcile and redeem the way that we live and the way that we work. So we see that the work in the garden wasn't this pastoral decree. Okay, Adam, I want you to preach to these trees and that's the only work that counts. No, he put them to work, working a job. There are actual tasks to really get done. Sometimes I fear that we think the Bible is only written to people we consider clergy or super, super holy, that it's not for every man in this room. But the word of God is for every man in this room, no matter the vocation that you are in. It's all duties and all responsibilities. If you look at the Bible itself, you'll see that Noah built ships. Noah built a ship and he kept a zoo, thus leading to the smelliest cruise line ever. This guy had a job. We have Abraham who dealt in real estate. Uh, We have Joseph and he was literally the COO over Egypt. He saved thousands of people from starving to death. And only a few of them were actually followers of God. He wasn't just saving his people. He was saving people. There were actual results that were coming about from the good work he was doing. And then you look at Jesus himself and you see that 85% of his life was a carpenter for a for-profit business. Guys in the Bible had varied jobs. Just like we have varied jobs across this room. Again, students, teachers, Um, military, law enforcement, business guys, service industry. And how awesome is it that God's plan brings us all together on mission to love God, love people, and push back darkness across our cities on so many fronts. If this really is a battle that we're a part of, then this battle is happening with men being trained in this room on so many fronts. And I just think it's this genius plan that God had to see our city saved and to see our cities thrive. May we love our community through our work as an expression of love of our God. So your vocation is the greatest missional context that you have. You have 168 hours in a week. Most Christians are only in church for a handful of those hours. We'll be able to see that God's mission will be just 
pushed on. The, the mission to love God, love people, push back darkness in our cities. As we are trained, as we grow, as we spend time with brothers, as like we talked about a little bit earlier, finding godly friends who are going to walk with us shoulder to shoulder, face to face, godly friends who are going to be there with us. We are able to see that we're being equipped and filled by the power of God for our mission during the hours we spend away from our church and in our communities, in our schools, and in our workplaces to be a blessing. And then your vocation is an opportunity in your, it's your day-to-day opportunity to glorify God by serving others. And in that way, serving as a faithful representative of God who glorifies himself by serving others too. We can glorify God by serving people and they'll benefit from what you're doing. We'll see human flourishing happening. We're going to see that happen across our communities. So your work is worship and that glorifies God. Not just in sharing Bible studies or telling a great story in community group, um, pulling together a Bible study on your lunch break. It's so much bigger than that, but it's in helping people do their taxes. It's in studying for that test to prepare you for your future. It's in being that caring grandpa who's going to be there for the grandkids and for your kids who still need you today, though they might have pushed you away a little bit. They still need your godly influence and your godly wisdom. It's serving a great meal. It's paving the roads that we all drive on. And it's glorifying God to see again humanity flourish. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God is glorified. I'm got this, uh, Bob Thune found a lot of these verses, so I'm going to give him credit again. And I just want to look through a ton of verses really quick. We see that God is glorified when we put our whole selves into our work with a view towards pleasing God and not men in Colossians. We see that God is glorified when we're honest, even when it hurts or when it prevents us from getting ahead. We see that God is glorified when we honor our superiors, our bosses, our teachers, and submit to their authority. And we see that in Timothy and Romans. God is glorified when we treat our work associates with kindness and respect. And that's in Luke and Romans. God is glorified when we expose fraud or dishonesty or unethical behavior. Ephesians 5, God is glorified when we approach our work prayerfully. God is glorified when we avoid complaining or grumbling or even in less than ideal work situations. God is glorified when we refuse to make work and money our idols, what we're working for. God is glorified when we plan diligently for the future. God is glorified when we live simply and give generously. Proverbs and 1 Timothy. God is glorified when we trust him to provide today what we need for today. God is glorified when we rest from work. So I'm going to wrap up. And I hope that you can see that we are to live one integrated life. It's work, it's play, it's family, it's school. It's, it's across the board, sun up to sundown. Everything that we're doing is to glorify God. Not one work you. That work you could be the, the pacifist or the bully or whatever. Whatever your sin bent, it could be that. And not just one home you. We're not to live these two separate existences. It's to be you. You. You stepping into this situation and being you. Being this man who's being transformed by the power of God. Who's loving his wife. Who's serving his friends and who's 
serving in community, who's the dad, who's the son, who's the grandfather, bringing you to every scenario, because I guarantee it, we can all probably raise our hand and say, I bring a little bit of a different me to a lot of different places. I'm more bold over here. I'm more passive over here. I speak to my wife in a way that I would never speak to someone else. I'm rude in this scenario. I'm not in that scenario. And we're a little confused on who we are. But as we grow in Christ and as we become more and more in, more and more, um, more time in his presence and we become more and more like him and we begin to have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. As we have the fruits of the spirit, we begin to bring that you, that powerful, peaceful presence, that man who's growing up and learning and has brothers in his life who care about him and are calling him on his stuff and encouraging and challenging and loving and caring and you're growing. We can advance the kingdom of God and we can glorify God right here, right now in all situations. We don't have to be the angry, insecure tyrant who has people around us operating out of fear, wondering if they're gonna if you're going to yell at them for blowing it again, we can be leaders who contribute to order and peace in the kingdom. We don't have to be men who undermine trying to keep people from growing so that you can be the one that gets the promotion or the raise or the recognition, but we can be the leaders who bring wisdom and help other people around us. Men who are willing to give our lives away and to diminish as we age so that fruitfulness can increase and more leaders can emerge, not not holding people down, but helping others to grow. We don't have to be anxiety-riddled men whose teams and families, friends, coworkers don't experience godly leadership. We can be leaders full of energy and loyalty and ready to be bold and aggressive as we take on life. And finally, we don't have to be a group of men who hoard resources for ourselves and have no tenderness. But we can be men who are loving and caring and gentle, but bold and willing to worship God freely. A man who's passionate about glorifying God across every stage of his life. As a young man, glorifying God as God is building him and growing him and maturing him as a man who's really walking into the prime of his life, a a man who's bringing godly energy and effort and leadership into the world that's building for lasting change, as a man who's wrapping that up and who is coaching and giving wisdom to the next generation who's going to continue that on, hopefully better. And as the man who's winding down and thinking about his legacy, a man who's caring for his family as the patriarch, the grandfather, a wise sage, a man who loves. As we age, I don't want to be a guy who starts in this stage as a young man who then continues to get more angry, jaded, bitter, dark, depressed, and become that old grandfather who curses and hurts. I want us to be a godly bunch of men who grow and mature and have godly presence whose kids and grandkids aren't scared to be around him. Where there's wisdom and fellowship, love.
and across all those stages that we may do that for the glory of God.